Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. I am, of course, uh, the one and only Mitch LaFon. Uh, joining me on the phone from the band Heavy Pedden, it is Steve Heyman, or known uh, simply as Hamey. Uh, their new album is Foreplay, of course. The band disappeared from the scene for God knows how long, for, you, you know, 30-some years. But uh, they are back. The uh, The new album, uh, or the EP, sounds great. Hopefully. Hopefully there will be more heavy petting uh, coming down the road. But, uh, you know, let us let us get us over to uh, to Steve. Uh, hopefully everybody out there listening is, is coping with this coronavirus uh, isolation and lockdowns around the world. Uh, so I just want to get right to the uh, to the interviews, right to the um, right to the meat of these uh, episodes. Anyway, uh, please follow me on Twitter at Mitch Lafon. That is uh, Twitter at Mitch Lafon. And if you uh, do care to support the show, it is uh, PayPal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon. PayPal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon. And uh, I will keep doing these uh, as long as I can. Uh, though uh, who knows? Uh, it's a very, uh, it's a very strange world we're in these days. But uh, here's somebody that's not strange. From Heavy Petten, it is Hamey or Steve Heyman, the one and only. Here's Steve. We are speaking with Hamey from the band Heavy Petten. The new album is Foreplay. It's a wonderful EP that just came out. Uh, as we say in Montreal, bonjour. How are you? Oh, thank you very much. Nice to speak to you, Mitch. Uh, how is, uh, hopefully the weather is a lot nicer than what it is over here in Texas at the moment. It's kind of rainy and uh, cold, which is kind of surprising for Texas. I have to say, for, for somebody in, uh, in March telling me that it's uh, cold in Texas when I'm up in Montreal... There's, a, there's there's definitely an irony to all of that, but uh, but but pleasure to have you. So so let's get into getting the band back together in 2017. You run off and you do the uh, the Winter Storm um, Festival, and then the band decides to stay together. So uh, talk to me a little bit about that first uh, before we get to the EP. Uh, 2017 yeah, rolls around and you say, hey. Why not? Yeah, Let's actually, do this. Yeah, actually, I was sitting on a beach. I was sitting on a beach in Florida, and uh, my daughter uh, was talking away to me, and she kept on saying, well, why don't you get the band back together again? And da 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 And, and, and we got, we've, ever since we, we split up in like, 88, 89, it's, we've, we've been asked every year to get the band back together, whether it was the Japanese or the Germans, whatever. And for, uh, for whatever reason, uh, we just didn't, none of us wanted to do it. Uh, and then as the years went by, it was, there was always one of us that was like, ah, no. So, so we just never bothered and we just never spoke to each other for a long time. And then, uh, like I said, I was sitting on the beach and my daughter asked me, you know, and, and that was the first time I'd actually really, really thought about it in a while. And I was like, ah, okay, maybe I'll make some phone calls and see. Cause we hadn't talked to each other since. Uh, like 2007, 2008 was when the Japanese released the uh, Petology, and they wanted us to reform and get back together and do another album and then go tour. And so everybody was up for it through the initial phone calls way back then. But then the usual stuff happened. After a few days, one by one, everybody would just kind of bail off the idea and just book. And so at that time, I think it left me and Gordon, and we didn't want to do it by ourselves. We wanted it to be the whole band. 
So we just said, ah, never mind. Don't worry about it. So the Jap- Japanese released technology by themselves without us going and touring and supporting it and stuff. But uh, so fast forward 2016. So I said, okay, yeah, maybe. So I uh, came home to Texas and I called uh, Gordon. And uh, that was the first time we'd spoken in a while. And we just kind of, you know, went through the players and trees and all that stuff. How you did it? And I said, hey, how do you feel uh, putting the band back together and, and, and go and play? And just because you see, you've seen all these other bands get back together. And, you know, we were fairly successful and everybody still talks about us. And people always ask about us to get together. Do you think the time's right? Let, let's just do that. I said, I'm into it if anybody else is interested. I just want to kind of tread the water and see. And he, he said, well, let me think about it. He goes, but you, so call the, but you need to call the other guys. And so I called Gary, the drummer, and Gary was all about it. He was like, yeah, I'm in. And then uh, spoke to Punky. Punky was in. Never, ever got the bass player. Never, never, ever spoke to Brian. But we emailed, and he said, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So get back to Gordon, and we just actually just sat and thought about it logistically uh, with everybody, me in America and everybody else. So it kind of sat on hold for about a while while we kind of kicked back about what we're going to do. And then Gordon, I was in uh, New Orleans, maybe like six months later, and uh, Gordon called me and says, okay, I'm in. I spoke to the rest of the guys. Let's just do one show. There's no pressure. Let's just, you fly to London, we'll rehearse, and then we'll do one show. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, no big deal. At least we've got to hang out and, you know, bury the hatchet as such, and everybody's all friends again. And, uh, and I was like, sure, that sounds cool. And so that was, that was really it. And we set up, uh, we called our old manager at the time. And so he set up Winterstorm. He spoke to the guys at Winterstorm. They totally freaked out and said, well, that would be awesome to get, you know, one of the main bands, rock bands that's ever come out of Scotland to come and headline one of the, one of the things after like 25 years. So they were all about it. And, uh, and, and that, that, that happened from there. But, uh, in between that match, the, the drummer failed, uh, everything fell through with Gary and then little Brian, the bass player. Nobody, and the weird thing about that is nobody ever spoke to that guy. It was all done by email and uh, and eventually we could never get him on email and we just went, okay, we'll forget him. Obviously he's not interested. And so we just progressed and it was just me, Gordon and Punky and we uh, brought in uh, another drummer and another bass player and we did Winter Storm and it was, it turned out fantastic. So that was basically it. It's easy to replace drummers. Eh? <laughs> Just ask the Scorpions. <laughs> Just ask the Scorpions. They they've had a bunch, but all right. Uh, I know they've had a they've had a million. I know. It's, uh, uh, I, I don't say that. Our old drummer would get extremely pissed if he heard that. He's uh, <laughs> he's already pissed that we were actually out playing with Adam. You know what I mean? He well, didn't think we'd go through with it, but uh, but but respectfully, who who's to blame for that? Not you. So. He should, he should oh be... no, definitely not. It was uh, this. It was all Gary. It was it was his his choice. Things just weren't moving fast enough for him, I guess. And he wanted to do. He had plans, uh, and he's always wanted to be a singer. So he wanted to front his own band, and so he decided he was going to go ahead and do that. And uh, and good luck to him. You know, we just saw parted ways. He get pissed off at the end because I really don't believe that he thought we would go ahead and do it. And. Uh, so that was it, and now we haven't spoke to each other since, kind of. So, 
which is kind of weird. But anyway, well, let let us move on to the to the more positive. But uh, the the band, of course, is known for your vocals, the vocal prowess, the the high vocals. That's you know that that great sort of. I don't want to call it a scream, but you know what I mean. That, yeah. that, that just that powerful, I guess, mid-80s style vocal, right? Yeah. When yeah. you get back together and you're going to do this, obviously, uh, as you get older and the muscles and the neck and all that change, was the voice a concern for you? Did you still have it? Did you have to do six months of vocal training? What was it like? Yeah, no, I had to. It, it was a major concern for me to get back in there that whole, because I hadn't sang that way uh, since the mid-90s, likely. You know what I mean? And uh, and so when you don't lo- use those muscles, I mean, I was still singing. The good thing is I was still singing. And uh, so that always kept my voice going and everything like that. But I stopped using that real, real high range in my voice register, you know? And so, so it was kind of worrying when it came to, be, to do the old songs. And uh, and just like you said, when you get older, you know, if you, it's like anything. If you don't use that muscle, then uh, then it's just basically going to go away. But uh, yeah, it was a major concern. But when we into when we went into rehearsals, it was like it turned out fine. You know, what I mean, I, I I'm not screaming as much as I as I used to, which is absolutely fantastic. But uh, but it's there, and the good thing is it's not taking away anything from the songs. You know, the songs are still sound great and powerful. And uh, nothing's changed. I've just, uh, I've got older and wiser, you know? So uh, I don't scream constantly anymore. I'm more concerned with uh, doing my thing, make it as long as it sounds great, and the fans like it, and as long as I can hear myself, then uh, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, and the fans are, are happy as well. So so talk to me about that when you get into the recording sessions for Foreplay. And I, and I have a bunch of questions about the album. First of okay. all, you're doing an EP. You're not doing a full length. Was that just, hey, we let's just get something to the fans and give them a taste, and then we'll come back with twelve songs next year, or was it yeah. like, okay, so so talk to me about first of all the the concept of the EP and and why not a full length and why just four songs, and then I want to get well, into well, them. Okay, okay. Uh, really, the 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 main reason is we we kept on thinking, okay, what we're we gonna do. Okay, we need to finish an album. We just did a tour with Angel in, in Britain, and that had been our first real tour in a long time. And uh, so we did a co-headline thing in Britain, and we sold out about, I think it was like 10 shows, 8, 10 shows or whatever. And uh, they would headline one night, we'd headline the next night, that type thing. And uh, so there was, there was huge interest in that. And so we were really excited about it. And so it was like, okay, so how do we keep this going? Uh, because if we start the album, we knew we, all, we were always going to do an album. We knew that was, that was going to happen. But it was like, okay, so what are we going to do? How long is it going to take is we need to write all these songs? Because up to that point, we'd just been concentrating on the, the back catalog, rehearsing the song, picking the best songs, rehearsing them live, because that's all we were doing. That's all that was in front of us was the fact that, well, we need to go see if there's an audience out there and let's go play. And uh, and after that whole the angel thing, it was like, oh, okay, well, so everybody's all about it, just like us. So now let's decide, let's get let's start, get down, write some songs. And so the EP came about, and we were always going to call if we'd have stayed together uh, way back in the day. Then uh, we were always going to call the next album was one of the names for the title of the album, Foreplay. 
And so when we were kind of sitting messing around with it, it was like, well, why don't we just get four songs out real quick? And uh, as long as they sound great, as long as they're great songs, let's let's put it out and just call an EP four play. That gives us some breathing room. Uh, and then we can finish off the album. And uh, and that was basically how all that came about. That was, we sat down, did the four songs. We felt the four songs were good enough. And we just went, okay, let's put this out. We're going on the Monsters of Rock cruise. So we wanted it out for that time uh, to promote that. And then, so that's why we did it. And knowing that we have a bunch of other songs that we're finishing even as we speak, uh, that are going to be on an album that's going to be out before the end of the year. So, Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So, okay, so talk to me about the musical style, because the songs sound great. When you go into it, do you, do you look back to Letting Loose and Rock Ain't Dead and say, okay, we got to give the fans that? Or do you say, hey, listen, it's 2020. It's 2019. Yeah. Let's just give them what we would sound like today you know do you worry about modern day versus classic era sounding for making this music? yeah i think i think it comes into it i think it was a bit of both really i think it was we don't want it to be so far left of what heavy pattern used to be you know what i mean so and and that's kind of difficult because it's like uh gordon has always been predominantly the main songwriter and how the songs used to be written back in the day was like gordon would he'd We'd all show up, Gordon would come up and go, okay, I've got this new tune, and he'd come up and put with the music, uh, the music would be like 80, 90% finished, whatever, and then he'd come up and go, Henry, I've got this title of song, or else he'll go, listen to this chorus, what do you think? And then he would give it to me, and I'd finish everything off lyrically and uh, and melody-wise. And uh, and that's the way we always did it with, with the albums. And then when we went in with it, the, this batch of songs, we did it the exact same way. Uh, and it was cool, but everybody's coming to a different point of view now from the like 25, I mean, it's been 25 odd years. So Gordon has progressed as obviously as a guitar player and a songwriter, and I've become a songwriter in my own right. I mean, I signed two different record labels with two different bands uh, once Heavy Payton was finished, and I co-wrote songs with uh, the guitar players in those bands and stuff. So, so we all get better at our craft. So we knew but because there was a time, there's a time difference now from when then and now, it was like we all kind of matured a lot more. And so it was exciting to go in and see where everybody's head was and what we all thought was going to be good. And uh, But also keeping in mind the fact that, uh, hey, we, we always have to keep a nod to the to the letting loose and the rock eight dead stuff, which is heavy pen. And, if you, and one of the compliments we've had, I guess, since the EPs come out is, it it still sounds like heavy pen, you know. It just sounds like a modern day heavy pen. It sounds great. The songs sound great. Uh, everything sonically, it sounds great, and and it just sounds like heavy pen. So so I think that's been a great compliment for us to keep it to keep it like the old the old days, but also keep it fresh and modern, you know. And oh. then obviously we've added Dave, the new guitar player, who's a singer songwriter in his own right, and we picked one of his best songs. Or one of the tracks, and uh, and that totally fits any heavy pen, which is amazing. So, so we are actually excited about it, and all the new stuff is going to be on the album. So it, it, it sounds great. So, so there is a new album. You, you you've done those tours. Is this yep. because you know in 2017, like you just said, it was it was sort of seen as a one off, and now here we are three late three years later, and it's still going on. What are the plans for the band? Is this sort of 
let's take it as far as it goes? Or is there like a five-year plan? Is there like, all right, let's just do this for another couple of years and then let's just go back to what we were doing. How do you see the band moving forward? Oh, no, there's, there's definitely a plan, yeah. I mean, once we all got together, we decided uh, straight off the bat we weren't doing anything unless there was a plan, <laughs> unless we had some kind of plan of what we were doing. And uh, the whole plan has been, so now you get the EP. So we're concentrated on the UK coming back. We've just the uh, AP, which is going to take, get major promotion. Uh, we're going to So far, we're going to concentrate in Europe, um, the mainland of Europe for 220. Uh, we'll take care of that, and we'll be uh, releasing the album. So we'll promote that, go tour with that. Also, just trying to hook up with uh, some, uh, you know, some of your old friends and uh, see if we can get on some of their tours contact we think we, we we want to get bigger as every time that we come out and do something we want something we want it to be bigger than what it was the last time and so the next thing for us is is opening up for some of the bigger acts and then going out and doing more of our own shows which will be obviously around the world go back to japan uh love to go back to australia uh and then eventually to america and, and canada and stuff so there there is a like you said, a five-year kind of plan that this is what we want to do and uh, we're going to do whatever it takes to, to get there. So, well, well, I'm looking you know, forward it's not to just it. One of these, yeah, it's not just one of these things. That, ah, you know, I mean, it's great that we're doing what we're doing and we're all excited about it, but we want more and we want to keep it going and uh, and we're going to keep on working back to, to that. And, and if that happens, then that'll be fantastic. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, then we'll reevaluate you know, later on down the line. But definitely for the next, like you said, five years or whatever, then all we're con- concerning ourselves about is touring and then just touring around the world and writing new songs, releasing this album when it comes out and then doing another one and, and just keeping on going until we decide it's time to not keep on going. <laughs> well, I, I think you, you should keep going. And I, and I think your 1985 album, Rock Ain't Dead, is exactly the motto you should go with. Rock Ain't Dead, let's keep this thing going. Um, you, you did mention that you want to get on tours with some of the bigger acts. Back in the day, you were compared to a lot of the bigger acts. Everybody said they're the next Def Leppard, they're the next Bon Jovi, they're the next whatever, Cinderella, Poison, whatever the bands were. And of course, it, it, it came to a, an abrupt end. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. What were some of the challenges you faced? Because when you when you talk to some of the bands that haven't had the international success, they always say to me, whether it's Thunder or Gothard, they go, you know what? Our management and record company just couldn't figure out the U.S. We, we, we couldn't figure it out. Was that part of the problem that that, that heavy petting just <laughs> couldn't figure out it the U.S.? Was. Yeah, I mean, actually, we were a we were a way ahead of the curve on those other bands that you just mentioned, as far as America was concerned. Uh, so we had the support of the of the American side at the beginning. How it kind of, I guess, we were just unlucky, uh, as, as for lack of a better term, because when we hit at the right time, then all of a sudden Bon Jovi came out, and they were the same record label as us, and so were Def Leppard. And obviously, Death Leopard were in a totally different stratosphere. They were doing; they were already huge by the time that we got to America. Uh, and so, it was you know record labels that people have their pet projects, and we had people that that supported us compared to other acts. And then there was people that supported the uh, 
John John's band uh, more so than us. And so it came to a point when we were with Polygram that with the Americans that uh, a lot of the stuff that we were expecting to happen uh, started going Bon Jovi's way and and that kind of thing, you know? Because there's, there's almost so many pieces of the pie when you're in a record label. And, and, and I'm not saying that, uh, I mean, it was well-deserved because, I mean, I'm friends with John and, and you know, I've, I've, I've told him for years that I still think they're one of the best bands and they wrote great songs and so they deserved what they got. But it just so happened that, you know, they got a, a whole, like picking producers. Look, we were always, okay, we want this producer, but then John's band would come in and John's band would get it. You know, just kind of stuff like that. And so... So we were kind of pissed off at the record label and we were pissed off at the British side of it because the British side wouldn't do anything really to help because they did not know what to do with us. You know, as far as America was concerned, they were just relying on uh, the sister company, Polygram, to take care of it. But but it was, it was a record label and were management. That is, that was, a, I mean, it's a, that's a good excuse. It's a better excuse than nothing. But it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a great. But was, do, do you think it would have it would have made a difference had the record company not prioritized Bon Jovi? Do you think that you would have stuck it together, or were the oh, inter- yeah, yeah. oh definitely yeah yeah. I mean, it wasn't just John's band. It wasn't just Bon Jovi and stuff. But there was <clears throat> yeah, there was other things, you know. But yeah, if they'd have prioritized it right and put uh, as much effort into it at the beginning, then it, it, it would have worked out a lot better because it always felt that we were just always, you know, scratching and clawing for, for everything there. And, you know, the, the British were fighting, the British label was fighting with the American label all the time. And it, it just seemed that we were always in the middle, you know, and then we were changing managers and, you know, so that was always a pain in the butt. And so it was, it was a hard time. I mean, on the on the outside, it looked awesome because we were getting everything. We're doing all the tours and we're doing albums and doing whatever. But it just needed that that one little push to really make it really happen. And and for whatever reason, that that was just never really coming. I mean, it was we were very successful, but we just needed that extra push to take it to a totally different level. And uh, and it was just never forthcoming, which was was kind of sad. So especially on the third album. You know, when the third album came out, it was that that really pissed everybody off, you know, because the record label just really did not know what to do with that. I mean, we were spending and, and we were getting tons of money. I mean, we were spending fortunes. I mean, we were in some of the top studios around the world recording that. We were recording that album for like seven, eight months, you know, and uh, and then when it was done, you know, it was like they didn't know what to do. And it wasn't the way we wanted to go. So you were always butting heads with the A&R department. You know, we wanted to be stronger, I mean, heavier, and they wanted to be, well, let's get this commercial and da-da-da-da-da. So you were constantly fighting. And then the, the producers that we wanted to work with, uh, they had us working with, especially on the third album, we worked with two great guys, but their big thing was Mike and the Mechanics and uh, a bunch of other bands like that. And we were, uh, you know, even though they're great, producers that that that's not us that's not what we wanted to do you know we wanted to be more heavier like i said and even so the production sounded like that we didn't want to sound like a pop band but uh but that's that's the way they were leaning and they were in charge and they just made life a misery for us if we didn't 
you know, say yes to everything they said. And, you know, we'd butt heads and it, it, was, it was just a bad scene in general by the time it got to the third album. You know, even to the point that we got some studio time away and nobody could find us. We all vanished and we all went and recorded two songs that uh, Gordon had written and then said, OK, let's do these the way we want to do them and we'll show them. And we did. One was called Break It Down. The other was called Hot Women. And uh, we took them back to the record label and we said, hey, this is this is how we want to sound. This is what we want to do. And uh, we want to scratch all the stuff that we've been doing for the last seven months because this is the, this is the direction we want to go. And they were just, no, no, we're not doing that. Even though it, was, it sounded awesome, you know, and they know this is what you need to do. And so eventually after that, we did one more tour, I think, after that. And then by 89, we just let everybody get tired of fighting with everybody in the record label and management. We just called it a day. So, Which is unfortunate, but at least you're back now. Uh, you did mention producers, so of course we, we have to ask the question that you've been asked for 30-some years. But you did, you did of course, do Letting Loose with uh, Brian May. He, he came in as, as a co-producer. How do you get the guy from Queen, who is no slouch, <laughs> to come work with you? Was there just that much excitement with the band that people were coming to you? Or was this oh, yeah. a beg and plead and, oh, come on, help us, dear God, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Brian. I mean, Brian got to hear these rock demos uh, through a publishing company, which was Warner Bros. And, uh, and he loved them. When he heard the first demos, he was so excited, and uh, he went and spoke to uh, Mac, who was the Queen producer, or co-producer, uh, in Germany, and said, hey, I want to produce these guys, and I want you to come with me. And so Mac heard the demos, and he was all about it as well. So, uh, actually, that, this is kind of funny, but we were, uh, we were getting ready to go on tour. Or we're, ready, we're, ready, we're going to go do some shows. It wasn't a big tour. We're just going to do a handful of shows. So we're in a rehearsal studio. And, uh, you know, obviously we had not an album or whatever, So we, but we'd get put on this bill to open up for, for this band for a couple of shows, and we were all excited about it. So we were sitting in this rehearsal studio, and it was on this big soundstage thing, and we're doing our thing, and it was one of those deals that uh, when we were on stage, everything else is pitch black, but you could see a door opening uh, at the back of the week hall, and, uh, and there was a light there, so people would be coming in and out. So I'm singing away and I'm seeing people coming in and out. So we finished the rehearsal and then the house lights go on and we're kind of standing there and I'm looking out and as I'm standing there looking, I'm going, shit, that looks like Brian May, you know? And uh, and so I know I got to Gordon and I'm like, is that Brian May? And so there's Brian May and John Deacon and Mac, the, <laughs> the German sitting there and he's like, shit, that is Brian May. And so as we were all kind of looking, Brian comes walking up and he goes, hey, uh, hi, I'm Brian May. And we're all like, oh, no, we know. We know who you are, you know. And uh, he said, I heard your demos. I love it. I want to produce your album. And we were absolutely floored. And we were like, wow, that is fantastic. So we were like, of course. Yeah, we're in. And that's how it started. And then uh, we went off to the Townhouse Studios, uh, Studio 2 in London. And what was cool about that studio, that's where Phil Collins did his famous drum sound because it had a big glass wall. So that was always cool. So when we get into that studio, 
we were there for about two, three months and then went to Munich in Germany for about six weeks and did the vocals and mixed. And uh, and it was awesome. And, you know, with Brian, uh, the funny thing, Mitch, is with Brian is uh, everybody expected him to play on it. And, and and even we did to an extent. You know, I mean, we're thinking, okay, we need to get Brian to play guitar on this. And he would bring his guitar into the studio, the famous guitar, and just have it sitting there. And so every time we come in, we still see the guitar sitting there and go, oh, the day's the day. He's going to play on the album. And that day would go by. And so, and he eventually never played, but he did do backing vocals. But uh, but he never played the guitar, which kind of, you know, which was annoying. So, but, but he was great. He was fantastic. He's a gentleman. He's a, a really, he's a really neat guy. And uh, we've all remained friends and stuff over all the years. So uh, it's exciting for me to see Queen back out and playing because I was always a huge fan as a kid. So a great, a great, a great guitarist, uh, one of the best of of our time. Um, just 1995, right? You put out Child uh, Saints and Sinners. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, talk to me about that. Was was that like okay? I'm no longer in heavy petting, and so. I'm going to start this new band and it's going to be the next 20 years of my life? Or was this like, hey, I've got these 10 songs, let's go record them and Merci, Bonsoir, we'll move along. What was sort of the... the, the yeah, ge- it was, well, Child started before that. That was uh, when I'd left, uh, when I left Heavy Painting in 89, I'd moved to America uh, by 88. And so I was going back and forward and then when the, fan, the band finally called it a day in 89, whatever, it was like, so I was, I was living in America. So I just uh, flew back to America and uh, realized that I had, to, I had to do something. So I'd become really good friends with a guitar player called Earl Slick. And, uh, and Slick and I put a band together called Dirty White Boy with uh, Kenny Richards, the drummer from Autograph. And then Pete, who was a bass player from Cheap Trick at the time. And so we, uh, Slick and I had written a bunch of songs and so we ended up uh, signing to MCA and uh, we're getting ready to go in and do the album and uh, the, everybody just came out of rehab, put it that way. And so, except for me. And so I was still 24-7. Everybody got out of rehab. And so when it was time to go into the studio, I was still doing my thing and hanging out with all my friends and doing whatever. So eventually everything took its toll and, you know, I get, uh, I get real sick for a while. And uh, so they moved, they ended up getting another singer and it was a mutual agreement. You know, it was like, hey, I don't want to hold anybody back. So, so, that, so that went that way. And so I spent a lot of time in San Diego getting healthy again and everything else. And I was in New York and uh, I met uh, this manager guy came up to me and said, hey, I've got this awesome guitar player. You need to meet him. He lives in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm like, okay, sure. And so he flew me down to Birmingham and I met uh, Damon Johnson, who was the guitar player for, I mean, he's played with everybody, Damn Yankees, he's uh, Finn Lizzy, uh, Black Star Riders, he's, he was a guitar player for them forever and ever. And uh, so Damon and I hit it off, man, we, we were like brothers. And so we wrote a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, we signed to, signed a record deal with, uh, was it Electra? I think it was Electra, I can't remember now. But we signed... Uh, Oh, Virgin. No, it was Virgin Records. So we signed with Virgin Records and then proceeded to do uh, an album for them. And that kept on dragging on and on and on and on because they kept on trying to change how they wanted this to sound. And 
eventually, after two years, that kind of fizzled out. But I kept the, the thing going with Child. And Damon went away and did stuff with the damn Yankees and some other people. And uh, so I ended up uh, putting another band together, keeping the name Child. And uh, we recorded those songs uh, in Nashville and, uh, and released that. But it was just going to be one of those things that, hey, let's, I've got all this stuff, let's just go in and book a tour. And it, it was really just a one-off kind of thing. So so uh, let me take a couple of things out of that, because I, I didn't know all these different connections. Now, so Damon Johnson, of course, uh, did some time with Thin Lizzy, Brother Kane. He's on that unreleased uh, uh, Damn Yankees album, the third one, the infamous third one. Um <laughs> And a personal friend of mine. I mean, he, Damon is is absolutely wonderful. Are you still in touch with Damon, or have you fallen out of touch yeah, with Damon? Yeah, I haven't spoke. Well, I haven't spoke to Damon in good God, it's got to be a few years. We were in touch. We spoke well, not a lie. We spoke. Uh, one of our mutual friends is a, there's a Scottish band called Gun, and the drummer is a little guy called Paul McManus, and they were out doing. Uh, they were opening up for Black Star Riders uh, about a, two years ago, maybe, and so they were in Rome. And that was the last time Damon and I had spoken because he's doing his thing. And then all of a sudden, obviously, I get wrapped up in the whole heavy pen, the new heavy pen stuff. But uh, yeah, Damon and I have been friends. He was the best man at my wedding. Damon, Damon's the best. I, I, in fact, uh, last year I booked uh, three shows in Canada for Damon. So if Heavy Pettenwan shows up here, we should we should talk. I'll, I'll help you get some shows yes, up we, here. Yes, we should, sir. And now you you quickly mentioned that he was the bass player at the time for Cheap Trick, but I didn't hear the name. Was that John Brandt or was it Pete Comita or who who were you referring? It, it was Pete Comita. Okay, so it was Pete Comita. Okay, boy, yeah. there there's a guy. If you still talk to, I'd love to interview because that's a great story. The the guy who came into Cheap Trick for a little bit. Um, do you still yeah. talk to Pete? Yeah. No, I haven't spoke to Pete in a long time, and that Darn all kind but that all fizzled out and. We, I mean, we we saw each other in L.A. for a long time after that, but then, you know, it's like everything else. He was doing his own thing, and then we just kind of lost contact. And then I was in the South, so I moved to Los Angeles. And after Damon and I kind of hooked up, then uh, I just lived in the South for a long time after that. You know, I just loved the area. I loved the people. They just reminded me of, uh, of Scotland, of the Scottish people. So, uh, so I just lived in, in Alabama for a long time and did a whole <laughs> bunch of music there. It's funny because when I, when I think of Scotland, I think, wow, they're just like people in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're just so friendly. You know what I mean? No, I know. Like, down home, they're down home friendly. Yeah, my my wife uh, is, is Scottish, and her mother lives out in Scotland, so I I I, I understand that. But uh, on that, uh, I, I got to say thank you. It's been it's been absolutely great. We've done just a little over thirty minutes, and Heavy Pet and Four Play folks is out now. Do check it out and. Um, where, where was it here? Oh, I got rid of my note. But uh, years ago, uh, the, um, uh, the the albums were re-released uh, recently. So so go pick up the, the new versions of the albums because they've been updated and sound great. Uh, there you go. Merci, awesome. monsieur. Thank, Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it. And seriously, if you can, if you can help us get some shows in Canada, that would be fantastic. I absolutely can. So let me know when, when where, how, and... I will talk to my uh, local promoters and, and, and let them know. Uh, you know, it's usually easier, of course, if you're doing like an East Coast run to pop up here rather than get flown out from anywhere because 
Listen to our oh, cost. Yeah, yeah. You know, co- no, we'll co- work on that. Yeah, we'll definitely work on that. Uh, but so if I you're doing, you know, if you're doing the, if you're doing the Monsters of Rock cruise, and then you work your way up the East Coast, I can easily add Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto like that, and and you know, get you up here. I, I'm sure fans would love it because you are one of these bands that was right there in the in, in the pantheon with with Leopard and Jovi and all those bands. And then it took a left turn, but the music's yeah. still there, and the music's still great, and the fans that bought uh, Rock Ain't Dead, the fans that bought, um, you know, Heavy Petting or, or Lo- Letting Loose, they'd want to come out. They'd want to see this. So let's 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 make it happen. Oh, that sounds awesome, mate. So we'll def- if you don't mind, I'll keep in touch with you and let you know what's going on in there. As soon as we get this album finished, I'll get it out to you. Thank you, sir. And I've got the Heavy Petting right, right in front of me. I got my CD here. It sounds great. looks great. And uh, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Okay, man. Take it line. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye now. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.